All right, Docs, let's face it, time to get real. You tune into Docs Outside the Box because you wanna know how to take control of your career, right? Well, look, my new sponsor, Provider Solutions and Development, they have a team of experts ready to guide Docs just like you through today's job landscape. Now, whether you are looking to dive deeper into your specialty or you wanna find a healthier work-life balance, they can help find the right fit for you. So I want you right now to start the conversation with a PSND career coach at psdrecruit.org forward slash docs outside the box. This episode is brought to you by Set for Life Insurance. Listen, docs, one of the first steps we took to pay off our student loan debt was realizing we paid way too much for our disability insurance. That all changed when we found Set for Life Insurance. They helped us with a customized insurance policy that met our needs and most of all, budget. To learn more, check out setforlifeinsurance.com. What's good, everyone? This is Dr. Nee. Super amped to introduce my next guest to you. I'm still actually kind of geeking that I got a chance to interview her. I've been admiring my next guest from afar for a long period of time. I actually reached out to her representatives to see if she would be interested thinking that it was going to be a shot in the dark, but they wrote back and said that she is interested in coming on Docs Outside the Box, and we made it happen. So I'm going to get straight to the point that this is a masterclass on so many different things, so many different levels. We're going to be starting at hitting rock bottom to brushing yourself off, learning lessons from that fall, and then going through the process of understanding, like, is there really safety in being employed in your normal nine to five? Or should you understand what your strengths are, try to double down on that, go into business for yourself, becoming a boss, is there more safety in that? So today we're going to be talking with Tiffany, the budgetista Aliche, who literally went from preschool teacher to sleeping on her sister's couch for nine months to now where she is, America's favorite financial educator. She also is an Amazon number one bestselling author with a book called The One Week Budget as well as her uber-popular Live Richer Challenge series. And also through her company, her company is called The Budgetista. She's created a financial movement that has helped over 1 million women worldwide. She's helped them save over $150 million. Can I get some? (laughs) As well as pay off over $100 million in debt. She's helped them purchase homes, inspired them to change the way in which they think about finances. And because she's even more dope, she was even instrumental in getting the Budgetista Law, A1414, passed in January of 2019. And this law makes financial education mandatory for middle school students in New Jersey. Now, real quick, I love these stories. I love talking to Tiffany De Aliche because for me, it highlights that there's no such thing as a perfect path to success. Get that out your mind if you think there is. There is no perfect path to success. You got to believe in yourself. No one's going to believe in you if you don't believe in yourself first. And ultimately, money is just a tool, right? You got to use that tool to give you the runway that you need, the runway that you've always wanted to have so that you act ways in which you've always wanted to. So look, I've talked on this intro long enough. Without further ado, I present Tiffany, the budgetista Aliche. Let's get it. Tiffany, the budgetista. America's favorite personal finance educator. Welcome to Docs Outside the Box. What's up? What's good? What's good? I'm good. How are you? 
It's just Dr. Darko. Oh, just call me knee. That's it. Okay. Call me knee. Right, you good. You good. <laughs> well, you know, I'm really glad to have this talk with you. I've been a big fan of yours, as I said, before we started recording. I also grew up in Irvington, not too far from Newark. And I actually went to high school. I went to St. Benedict's Prep. Oh, really? Oh, right in Newark. Okay. That's a great high school. Yep. I used to take the 25 yeah. down to Martin Luther King. Oh, wow. Oh, yeah. And then we used to walk to Penn Station and then we'd all split up when it was time to go home. That's awesome. Wow. He's taking it back. Yeah, we're taking it way back. So it looks like you go way back also. You're going to call Martin Luther King High Street. That's what I know. Like <laughs> Only the true Newark heads know about that. I know. <laughs> Yo, you represent in Newark really, really well. So how long have you been in Newark now? So I was born at St. Michael's Hospital in Newark, but then I was raised all over Jersey. Then I came to Newark to work when I was in my mid-20s. And then I moved here, I want to say, it's been about just under 10 years I've lived here. So are you impressed with the changes that's been going on with Newark? I mean, to go from like I am. what it was in the 90s to where it is now, you got a Whole Foods. What's up with that? I know. We have Whole Foods, Starbucks. I have to say, I didn't. My husband was born and raised here in Newark. So I didn't see all of that in between. I kind of came just as Newark was you know, transitioning into what's happening now. So... Yeah, but I heard it was definitely rough times. (laughs) Yeah, it was some tough times under Sharp James, but it looks like Cory Booker and Baraka, they've done some really great things. So that's really great. And one other thing too, I want to ask you before we get started. So I know you're from Nigerian background. So have you ever tasted Ganyan Jalaf? Oh boy, here we go. (laughs) I've tasted it. It's I, I guess. (laughs) The Jalaf Wars continue. I've never tasted Nigerian Jalaf. I don't plan to. Really? I don't feel like there's a need because it's just the best (laughs) thing, you know? I literally went to this thing called Jalaf Wars that was in New York. And I will say Nigeria won. So sorry. No, but honestly, Ghanaian Jalaf is good. I'm not even going to pretend like it's not. But you know, actually, who is it? Senegal? There's somebody else's Jalaf that I have. I'm not going to say that. Like, I'm not going to lie. They actually prefer to both Nigerian and Ghanaian Jalaf. I think it was uh, Senegalese Jalaf or something. It was another West African country that their Jalaf is amazing. I think it's Senegal. I think that's where they're saying all of this stuff actually originates from, Senegal, actually. Yes. We over here fighting. You know, Ghana and Nigeria are always fighting over something. And like, meanwhile, the rest of, the rest of West Africa are like, really? Because that's mine. <laughs> <laughs> so you're saying we culture vultures? Is that what you're saying? <laughs> <laughs> So look, I've been watching your ascent for a long time. I was someone who did not really understand budgets. I didn't really understand my personal finances for a long period of time. And it wasn't until I found you on YouTube, on you know your blog, saw you on TV, and then I started really understanding and seeing all about the personal finance world out there. You were like my first introduction to this. And to go from you know where you're at and where I am, and have you on the show. It's really a big honor to me. So I just want to say thank you for that. But I want to take it back because I want to set the stage for everybody so they understand like what's the deal. So like, how did you go from being a preschool teacher for like 10 years in Newark to where you are right now? Like, I know like the next thing you got to do is like an interview with CNBC. So how did you get to that point? How did that jump occur? I was already teaching financial education, just not you know, as a business. I grew up like so many West Africans, you know, we're known for our frugality, at least our parents are. And so I just grew up hearing, you know, my Nigerian name's Adochi. So I just grew up hearing Adochi. We don't have that. You want what now? You know, so my father specifically was, he's got his bachelor's in engineering, his master's in finance. And he and my mom together really worked hard to make sure my four sisters and I understood 
personal finance, how to budget, how to save. So my dad would actually sit down and teach us those specific lessons, like pen, pad, paper. My mom would teach us those lessons in the streets, right? Food shopping. You know, we would go, I can remember, I'm like, this is not the marketplace in Nigeria, but she would negotiate everything everywhere we went. Everything. So West African, oh, please. Right? (laughs) And so I just really grew up learning kind of like the mechanics of personal finance and, and money, but then also the actual application. And so I was really comfortable, especially up until my mid 20s with managing my finances. And so I started helping my friends. It started with my college roommate. She had debt collectors calling in the room. I didn't even know that was a thing. And I remember telling my dad and he would give me advice to give to her. So that started kind of like the education train for me. I would tell my dad, he would tell me, I would tell someone else. And before you know it, because when you teach, you learn twice, I just started to absorb that information. Now, that's a very West African thing. When you teach, you learn twice. <laughs> right? And so my dad wanted me to go to law school like every African parent. Law school, be a doctor. You could be an attorney, an engineer, or a pharmacist. Everything else is a drug dealer. That's what I always <laughs> tell people. Right? That's the level of disappointment that your parents are going to give you. Everything else. So I've gone to school for business. Got my degree, but I knew secretly I wanted to be a teacher, but I was actually scared to tell my parents I wanted to be a teacher because again, teacher equates to drug dealer. But I told them. And so although they were disappointed, they were like, okay, well then just be the best teacher that you can. So I taught and I went back to school and got my master's. I thought I'd be a principal, but I just really loved teaching until the 2008, 2009 recession came and my school that used to get nonprofit funding they lost their funding. And so I lost my job. And so that's really when my business, the budget needs to activate it. Because as I was digging my way out of my financial mess, I was helping my family and friends who were having a harder time. And before I knew it, kind of word got out and my business really took off. Now, the financial mess that you got into, was that just because 2008 occurred or was it like kind of bad, you know, decision-making, not putting your money in the right places that it should be or... This is just purely from just not having a job from 2008. No, it definitely was compounded by not having a job, but I made some mistakes prior. So one, I purchased a house. I didn't understand the housing market. So I purchased that. Maybe if I had been doing, like watching the economy and understanding that possibly we're in a bubble, maybe I wouldn't have gotten my condo when I was 25. It was in 2005, 2006 when I bought my condo. It was right on that bubble. Right on that bubble. Right. Mm-hmm. And I should have like, because they were trying to push me to get a home I couldn't afford. Like I knew what my teacher's salary could afford, but it was like, oh, no, no, no. You can get a home worth $100,000 more. That was like commonplace, you know? But I looked at my budget and I was like, but you told me the mortgage is going to be this much. I can't afford that. And so knowing what I know now, those are red flags, you know? So I purchased my home 2005, 2006, and then I got my master's in 2006. So all of a sudden I went from no debt because I paid off my undergrad student loan debt because I commuted and my parents helped and then I paid off the rest. So I didn't have any student loan debt from undergrad left over by the time I was 26. And I didn't have any credit card debt because my dad had already taught me that you pay off your credit cards in full every month. And then also I had a car, but I stayed home one year after graduating and then bought myself a used car for 5,500. Dang, Tiffany. So all the basis, like the foundation was just set, was great. Yes, it was. I was financially perfect until I would say 26. But all of a sudden at 26, you know, I have a mortgage and I've got student loan debt, which normally by itself wouldn't be so bad. But then at 27, I said, you know what? I want to learn to invest. And instead of asking my father, 
financial genius that he is to teach me to invest, I'm going to surprise him that I'm going to learn on my own. And I reached out to a friend who, back when you're in your 20s, when someone looks rich, you think they are rich. He was not. I reached out to him and instead he got me involved in a credit card scam that left me at the end of the day, $35,000 in a credit card debt. So I went from up to 26, financially perfect to now having you know, this mortgage, which is not so bad, the student loan debt, which is not so bad. And then this credit card debt, which is like, okay. And so all of that, and then you combine all that and then you lose your job. It was just like this snowball effect. When I tell you I was drowning and then I even moved back home to say, you know, I'm going to rent out my condo to another friend. And they proceeded to never pay my rent on time. So the very reason why I rented out the condo was like, okay, they're going to pay me rent. I'll be able to pay the mortgage. And they were late every single month, sometimes months. So I ended up spending all of my savings and even withdrawing money from my retirement account to keep the condo so I wouldn't lose it to foreclosure. So it's like, if I was going to do all that, I might as well have lived there. I'm going to tell you it was a nightmare. And so by the time I was 30, 31, I had all this debt. I'd lost my condo. And I was um, living at home like, wow, like, oh, how the mighty have fallen. So then like, what was the turnaround? Like, how were you able to turn this around and become who you are? It sounds like you hit rock bottom. I did. I hit rock, rock, rock bottom. I was like, oh, if rock bottom was there, I was under the rock of rock bottom. <laughs> <laughs> the only thing I will say is because I was always grateful that I always said, well, you're not going to be homeless and you're not going to be hungry because I had my family, you know, but other than that, I had nothing else as far as financially. And so what turned it around was really, I'd been avoiding my friends for like almost a year. And my best friend, Linda, she kept calling and calling. And then one day she got through to me on the phone and she was like, you know, what's going on, Tiffany? And I was going to pretend like everything was okay, like I normally would. But then I just broke down and told her everything. I told her about all the loss. I told her about all the mistakes. And I was waiting for her to gasp and you know, treat my mistakes the way I was treating them, like the end of the world. And she didn't. She just started laughing. And I was like, I failed to see what's so funny. Would she say me too or something? <laughs> Basically, she was like, girl, uh, we all broke. <laughs> like, <laughs> she's like, you new to this, but we've been through this. Like, literally, you got student loan debts, wah, so you got credit card debts, uh, join the club. You know, she basically was like, have you taken a look at your friend? Like, one, it's the recession. Everyone is struggling. And even before the recession, nobody was financially responsible in our 20s. You were the only one. So she normalized and helped take the sting out of my financial mistakes. And it was then when I realized what was holding me back was really the shame of it all. And so once I was able to lower that shame, I was able to really see that I knew the solutions and I fell back on my fundamentals and started to dig my way out. I was like, the fundamentals are budgeting, savings, managing your debt, managing your credit. So slowly but surely, I started to dig my way out and I started to help my friends along the way. And as I mentioned before, when you teach, you learn twice. And so the more I taught, the more I learned, the more I taught, the more I learned. And I used to do a lot of volunteer work because I would help my friends and I was on unemployment. Back then, because of the recession, they extended unemployment for two years. So I told myself, you have two years to figure out what it is you want to do. So I went from my parents' house. I stayed with my sister on her couch for like a year trying to figure it out. It was at my sister, on my sister's couch that I got my first contract because I had done so much volunteer work. The United Way in Newark took notice and said, do you want to write financial literacy curriculum for us and teach it? And I was like, sure. And I remember it was maybe like $1,500 a month. And, you know, I was like, I'll take it. Right. You know, At that point. Yes. At that point, I was like, look, that's more than I have made in the last 
two years at this point. At that point, you're on what you call your ramen noodles budget. Yes. <laughs> I call it, yeah, the noodle budget. The so, noodle budget. So I had already decided, I was like, okay. And it was a hard decision. But during that time, sometimes you have to understand that actually I was worse than my ramen noodle budget. I call it my health and safety budget. So there's three levels. Your health and safety budget is the budget that you adhere to when you don't have enough to pay your bills. When what you make is not enough to cover your bills. So you only pay for your health and safety bill, your health and safety expenses. That means, do I need this expense to maintain my health? Do I need this expense to maintain my safety? That means Verizon can wait. That means literally everybody can wait except for things that will maintain my health and safety. So that's where I was. Everything else was late. I was like, they're just going to have to wait. It is what it is. And I was able to rent a room because my sister was sick of me sleeping on her couch. We had a one bedroom. I knew she was sick of me because she was moving. And I said, well, where are we going? She said, we are not going anywhere. You have 30 days to figure it out. Your name ain't on his lease? <laughs> yes, exactly. She was like, the nerve. You already you told me three months. It's been nine. I was like, <laughs> so that's when I got that contract with the United Way. And it was enough for me to rent a room. I was renting a room in North New Jersey. Like I just came home. Some of y'all don't know could, what that yep. means. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> some of y'all know exactly what that means. <laughs> but the good thing is it was a friend of mine. Because it was post-recession, there were so many young 30-year-olds who were in that same position. So the room that I rented was in this beautiful brownstone right downtown Newark. And a friend of mine had gotten a room there. She was a teacher as well. And she filled it with her other friends. So our friends. So although I was renting a room, there wasn't a sense of despair because it was this home now filled with all these amazing women who had decided to chase their dreams. And so it became a hub of activity, of just like used to help each other out and share our dreams and our goals. Just it became an incubator in a community. And so for 500 bucks a month, that's all I could truly afford. And so that's where I really hunkered down and tried to figure out how could I take my business, the budgetista, from the $1,500 a month to the next So at that point, you're already thinking about this being a business, the budgetista. Yes, because before then, I'm someone who's actually risk adverse. People think like, wow, you know, you're an entrepreneur, Tiffany. You go for it. I'm like, no. To me, the risk was if you can lose your teaching job, That just seemed like, yo, that's the safest job in the world. That's what they tell you, right? Teachers, doctors, police officers, right? These are supposed to be recession-proof professions. So for me to lose my teaching job, a switch flipped in my head and made me say, well, then that actually is the risky job, not betting on myself. And so that's why I was like, ah, I'm not going back to nobody's classroom. Because I was a really good teacher. I had been getting teacher of the year. Our classroom was like a template for other classrooms. So I had done everything right. I got my master's. So I checked off every box. And to still lose my job, I just said, I'm not going back. The risk is really in when I put my future in someone else's hands, I'm going to decide my own future now. A lot of people have a hard time understanding that concept because the first thing they want to do is just find another employee-employer type you know, situation. But that's dope that you decided just to bet on yourself. Because it's true. like That's the one that you can really control. That's the one that's giving you the most security. Exactly. Then from there, I was like, okay, so typically in business, there are like stages. Many new entrepreneurs start off as one-on-one. That's not scalable, meaning that I remember literally doing the math. I said, okay, how much do you want to make a month, Tiffany? And I was like, okay, if I can make you know, $2,000 a month, what do I have to do to make $2,000 a month if I was going to do one-on-ones? And each one-on-one was $200. You're like, oh, you have to do 10 one-on-ones. That's a lot. Okay. And it's a time suck. Exactly. So then I was like, okay, then the next stage of the game is one to few. And so one to few was me in a classroom. I said, okay, 
here's the same 10, 20, 30 people, but I can spend that same hour, two hours that I would get $100, $200 for, but now I can get $500 because the United Way used to pay me three to $500 per class. And I said, okay, so that's one to few. So then I started thinking, well, how do I teach more people? What does that look like? What does one to many look like? And so I thought, okay, so I remember talking to a friend of mine, his brother had just won junior class president at Keene University. And I was over his house and he was like, oh, he knew I was teaching finance. He was like, yo, now that I'm president, because, you know, feeling himself at age 17 or 18 or how old he was, you should come speak to the students, you know, like my class. And I was like, oh, okay, maybe. He's like, yeah, we pay 1500 I was like, oh, I'll be there. I'll be there. <laughs> yes. I couldn't believe. I was like, what? I said, for how long do I have to speak? He was like, no more than two hours. I was like, wait. I can make $1,500 in two hours talking to some kids. It's like these opportunities come raining now because- Yes, when you're ready for that. When you're ready, yeah. Exactly. Because if I had not done the prior work, you wouldn't have known that this is what I was doing. You know, And if I had not been teaching at the United Way and volunteering, I wouldn't have been ready to stand up at Keene and speak. So I was like, okay, that's one to many. So then I started looking for other opportunities with colleges and churches and organizations like that. I started to lean into social media. So back then, it was really mostly Facebook. Twitter was around a little, but people weren't using it in that way. Facebook didn't have Facebook groups or Facebook businesses. So I changed my personal Facebook name to Tiffany the Budgetista Alice. And I started to market on my personal page. Like I literally, I used to give myself homework every day. And one of my homeworks was that I would friend, send a friend request to 100 people. You cannot do that now. Facebook will ban you. But then what I would do is I would say, okay, Neem, hmm, he looks like he has a professional headshot. Send a friend request. And if you made the mistake of accepting my friend request, I will go through your whole friend list and look for anyone else that looked like they might work for a corporation that might hire me to speak. That's what I would literally do. I would be looking for professional S pictures. Do you have like corporate event pictures? I'm like, friend, friend, friend. Literally, that was on my list because I knew that on my page, I was going to be posting me speaking, teaching. Like LinkedIn right now, how LinkedIn is right now. Exactly. So I was posting all those things hoping, which did work, that people would be like, oh, I saw you just spoke at such and such. I would love for you to speak at my death. I'm like, got him. <laughs> and so that's how I would use Facebook. That's it's how I know you're from New York. You say, got him. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> got him. <laughs> so that one to many, it was, so the thing about one to many is that it wasn't as consistent. You know, you're kind of at the mercy of whoever wants to hire you. But I had moved from one-on-one. I had moved from one to few and I had moved to one to many. And then I said, okay, Now, by then, I was making a few thousand dollars a month. I said, okay, this is starting to work, but it's still a lot of work. How do I move from one to many to one to infinite, you know, or infinite, relatively speaking, you know? And then I started this online course called the Literature Challenge. Because I was posting on social media, people who didn't live in Newark wanted to come to my classes at the United Way. They said, I would love to take these classes, but I live in Florida or California or wherever. And I thought, well, how do I take these classes? Maybe I'll put them online. So I did. And I created the United Way. I'd written a six-week series. So I condensed it to five weeks and called it my literature challenge. And I put it online. And I said, my goal is to sign up 10,000 women to sign up for this free literature challenge. I made it free because I said, I'm going to do it free the first year. And then the next year, I have proof of concept. And I'll see if I can get sponsors for the next year. I might even be able to get sponsors this year. And so... By then, I had written a book. I was always really good at budgeting. Even before I'd lost my job, I had actually created like this notebook because people asked me so often to help them with their finances. Like even the parents at the school, 
So I wrote this book in a notebook where I would pass it around to people. But like, it was also almost like a collection of lesson plans of how to create a budget. So by then, with all of this happening... Always using your teaching my, skills. Always, right? One of my roommates in the room, well, she had her own room, but like one of my roommates, I remember Nina, she designed the book for me. And that's when Facebook came out where you could upload your book design and sell it on Amazon, not Facebook. Um, Amazon came out and you were allowed to do that. So I did that. No one bought it. But still, I had my first book, The One Week Budget. And I would convince places that I spoke, hey, you should get the book for the people that I'm speaking to, the, the students or whomever in the audience. And so that was one of the ways I was making money too. So then it took me like two or three years to figure out, like I dropped the price of the book. And it finally hit like the Amazon that sellers list, the one week budget. But that took like two and a half, three years. Really? Mm-hmm. I didn't know anything about anything. I was literally Googling how to market book. And so I would just try everything. And I remember it wasn't until... So the book itself was like $14, whatever, which was normal. But then the Kindle version was $8. That's what I used to sell before. And I met this guy. I was doing a career day at a middle school. And I remember this guy was talking. He was like teaching the kids and he was saying something to the effect of like, I'm an author and you know, I sell books, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, ah. so I like I cornered him, like I was one of the middle schoolers, like, excuse me, how do you sell your book? I can't seem to get my book to sell. He said, it's likely the pricing. How much is it for the physical book? I said, like, you know, $14, $15. He said, that's normal. He said, how much for the Kindle version? I said $8, which is half. And he says, too high. And I was like, nah, it's not, bros. Like, mm-mm, it's not too high. It's half the price, the same book. He was like, perception is more important than reality when people buy. And he said, I want you to go type in budget, whatever personal finance, whatever category your book is. And I want you to look at the top 10 books, Kindle versions that are selling and tell me what the prices are. And none of them were over $5. I'm talking about the biggest names in publishing. And I still was like, yeah, nah. You know, the Nigerian in me was like, I'm not giving my book away. <laughs> are you crazy, right? And he said, well, how about this? Do a sale. <laughs> Just do like, I mean, how are you going to be broke and prideful? That is so Nigerian. So he's like, do a sale, do like a one week sale and just see. So I posted on social. By then I had been posting about the book. I had been doing teaching. I was using my Facebook page as like an ad account, you know? So I'd been like, I was already showing improving. And I said, Hey guys, my one week budget book, which has helped this many people with their budget was $8 on Kindle. I'm dropping the price temporarily to $4.99. All of a sudden within two days, hit the Amazon bestsellers list for Kindle. I mean, on par with Dave Ramsey, Susie Orman, all of that. I oh, could so not you believe were the big it. wigs, yeah. I couldn't believe it. I was like, what? So he was right. So it's been on sale for the last 10 years for that same $4.99. <laughs> <laughs> well, let me ask you a question then, because I know the book was hitting, you know, your program was hitting. Why do you think you were able to resonate with so many different people? And what do you think was the first issue with a lot of people in terms of handling their finances? y'all. We've been there. So whether it's you're not challenged at work anymore, administration is pissing you off, or you just can't stand your partners anymore, you know when the writing is on the wall to leave your practice. Now, our sponsor, Provider Solutions and Development, has a team of experts ready to guide you through today's physician job landscape. With over 20 years of experience, they are committed to finding you the right team, the perfect setting, and the work you are meant to do. PSND in-house recruiters are not focused on quotas and they do not work on commission. That's what I'm talking about. 
whether this is your moment to shine, pivot direction, discover something new, or just heck, just be a doc outside the box. Provider Solutions and Development has access to hundreds of opportunities across the country. Reach out today at psdrecruit.com forward slash docs outside the box. I think what resonated with people is that one, I actually care. So there's an underlying feeling of like, yo, Tiff got me. She actually cares about me because I do. And it's the teacher in me. Like I look at everyone I teach as like my student. So when you're three and four and you came to my preschool classroom, I cared about you. I prayed for you. I wondered if you were okay. I thought about you when I went home. Like I care about my students. So that resonates. And then two, the fact that I actually teach. So just because you know a thing doesn't mean you can teach a thing, you know? And so I know how to take you from a place of no knowledge to knowledge. Once I know a thing, I can get you to know a thing. And nothing is wasted. So the fact that I taught preschool for 10 years was by design. To me, it was divine design because there's something called the 10,000 hour rule that we've likely heard from um, Malcolm Gladwell. Malcolm Gladwell. Yes. One of my favorite authors. And it just states that in order to reach mastery level of a skill set, you spend about 10,000 hours on that skill set through practice of that talent that you naturally have. And so for me, I was already a natural teacher, I suspect, as a kid. But now for 10 years, I'm in the classroom, not just teaching. If you know any teacher or principal, they will tell you that you put your best teacher with the youngest grade because it's hard. Like, have you ever tried to teach a three-year-old? Like, I have my niece, Amelia. And you're like, Amelia, this isn't red like an apple. What's an apple? You're like, oh, boy, here we go. What's an apple? Now we got to go before, 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 before. You have to teach the foundation. It's like the pre-foundation to the foundation before you can even start building. So if you can teach three and four-year-olds, some of them don't even know their name. You know, go, what's your name, Jojo? Well, your name's Jonathan. Who's that? And you're just like, okay, before, how can I teach you your letters? And you're just learning that you have a full other name. And so teaching there for 10 years taught me how to teach you to go from a place of no knowledge to knowledge, but with encouragement, with love, with fun. So to me, the magic sauce is that I preschool teacher everybody. That's what you're getting. You know, like you're getting that non-judgmental, you're getting that encouragement, you're getting that breadcrumbing to success. Like, I'm using the same principles I used to teach little ones to teach adults about personal finance because most people have that same sense of a three or four-year-old when it comes to their money. They can be as smart as they want to be, doctors and attorneys and whatever, nurses, right? But the truth of the matter is when it comes to their money, they feel like they're three and four. And so I lean into that. But the pivotal moment for me was taking what I did at the United Way and creating the Live Richer Challenges. And I wrote the challenge. I said, I wanted 10,000 women to sign up. It took me eight months of social media posting to convince people it wasn't a scam to get 10,000 people signed up. And in January, 2015, I launched the Literature Challenge. And I remember like literally a month before I was launching it, someone said, is there going to be a book version? And I was like, well, why would you want a book when the challenge is free online? You know, it was like, ding, you know, Tiffany. Like, and I just was like, I remember fighting against I'm like, that doesn't make sense. But people were like, no, because not everybody wants to do things online. Could you just put the blog? It was a series of blog posts of challenges. I said, okay, I'll put this series of this 36-day series into a book. So I got a young college student, put it into a book, designed the cover, again, uploaded it to Amazon. And how it took three years for my one-week budget book to hit the Amazon bestsellers list, it took three days. I mean... (laughs) 
What was the price? Three what was the Kindle days. price? The Kindle price then, same thing. It was probably like, you know, like $3.99, $4.99, gotcha. something like that. But the book itself was like 10 bucks. And I couldn't believe it. And so I had nickeled and dimed to save, to put together the literature challenge. It, it cost me about $10,000. I don't even know where I got the money from. Just a little here, a little there. It wasn't until the end of the year I did my accounting to see how much it cost me to design that challenge. And that first month in January, I remember I wrote myself a check the year before. And I said, one day, some once, like I'm going to make $10,000 in a month. And I wrote a check and I put it, I have like this keepsake box and I put it in there in January or really February, because you see your money the next month. But I had sold $10,000 worth of books. I couldn't believe it. I went from nothing, 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 a little bit, a little, a little, a little, a little, a little, like, you know, it was such a long period. It went from losing my job at 29. And I don't think that like, I think it was like, I was 32, 33. And I made $10,000 in that month. And I was like, oh my gosh, okay. Now we got something. We're on to something. Now we got something. Yeah. And then from then on, it was on and pop. You know, I think about my sister-in-law, love her to death. And we're really close actually. And she's, you know, trying to understand the concept of budgeting, but she finds it so restrictive, you know? And, but we're trying to tell her like, once you embrace it, like you really, where you think you are is really not going to be where you end up. Like you're going to go to a different place. So how do you convince them about the B word, about budgeting to really embrace it? Because, you know, at first I found the restrictive. I don't find it restrictive anymore. It really helps me understand where my money's going. Yeah. Because to me, one, I tell people your budget is your say yes plan, right? So your budget is like, yeah, you could do that if, oh yeah, you can go on vacation if. Mm, yeah. And so the if really should be cutting out things that don't mean that much to you so you can have the things that do mean a lot to you. See, the way how you describe it right there, like how can you not want to you know, embrace exactly. that concept, right? So I was just like, you know what? I was like, dang, I remember one year it was like, it snowed like crazy. Because sometimes Jersey, you'll get a winter and no snow and then you get a winter snow every day. And I remember I was like, okay, I wanted to go to Florida and I had no money. And I thought, oh, so I looked through my budget and realized that I did have the money. I spent it in sushi because I love sushi. And I was like, I added up the last because I saw like on Groupon, I saw a flight and hotel combination. It was like $5.50 for flight and hotel to go to like Florida for like maybe three or four days. And I added up how much I'd spent in sushi over the last three months. And it was like the cost of me going to Florida. And I remember being like, so you see what I mean? It's like, oh yeah, you can go to Florida if... This is the one that you went by yourself, right? No, I mean, I do a lot of travel by myself, but it was my best friend. She wanted to go and she's like, let's go. And I was like, I don't have the money. And that just wasn't true. I did have the money. I just had it allocated to something else that wasn't as important. Mm, yeah. You know? So this is how I would tell your sister-in-law. What's her name? Her name is Chantal. So Chantal, right? So this is what I do for my husband because he's not a budgeter. And you're going to have to go into that too because I want to know, how do y'all make that work? But anyway, go ahead and answer this one. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it took a while, but so now this is the plan I've got him on because I used to be like what he would call the bully budgetista. He said, only people only knew. You a bully budgetista. I'm like, whatever. And meanwhile, he's 6'6", six, six, right? So he's right. just like, I'm like, <laughs> but so this is what I've learned with him is that I've got him to split it before he get it. And so this is what happens because if the money lands, he's not going to, like, I actually enjoy the spreadsheet and the moving around. Like I just did that the other day and it was like joyful. Like I turned on Drake and I was just like, you know, like bopping, switching my money around. Wait, wait, wait. No whiz kid? No Afro yeah, beats? Huh? I do like whiz kid. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> <laughs> but like, you know, so I had a little bop going, but he's not going to do that. So instead I said, okay, there are four accounts that you should have. So two are checking, two are saving. 
Checking number one is the bills account. We, because we're married, we have a joint bills account that he mostly contributes to. So he pays most of the bills and then we save and invest mine. Mm, right? okay. But it might just be for you. You might have a different, there's no right or wrong way if you're in a relationship or even if you're not, you should still have a separate checking account for bills. So he has gone to HR and said, hey, HR, put this amount of money into my bills account before I get, see, because you can usually split, I think up to four times. Some companies it's two or three or whatever, but his company allows him to split up to four times. So most of his money goes into that bills account, right? That bills account is not attached to a debit card. Don't do it or you will swipe away your bill money. Second split is some of the money goes into his personal checking. So that's like we give ourselves like an allowance. So if I see him with New Jordans, and he's like, I don't want to hear it. These are the Hirachis. The Hirachis, right, come on, right? yo. <laughs> yo, yo. You are so Jersey Hirachis. Like, <laughs> <laughs> get him a Dr. J's, yo. <laughs> right? Oh my gosh, yeah. And it's still here, Dr. J's. Oh yeah. Right? <laughs> so that way, you know, because that will save your marriage, that people are allowed to, he can get whatever because the truth is that's the money that's coming from his personal checking, you know? So the two checkings go at your big bank, right? And then you have two savings accounts. One savings account are emergency savings, like so short-term. Well, well, that's not true. That one savings is his personal savings. I really believe that as an adult, you should have some autonomy and agency over some of your money. Right, right. So he has money that goes automatically into his savings and I have a personal savings as well. Because he might want to save for whatever, and he might want to save for a bigger ticket item, and he knows that he doesn't want to pull that from the family's budget, or even you know? just surprise you or something for a gift. Or exactly. Right. And then the second savings account is our long-term savings account, and so this is where I contribute the majority of my money. So most of his money goes to our bills, but the majority of my money goes to our long-term savings, and from there, that's where we invest with. So we save. Now that we have six months of our expenses saved. The excess now goes to investing. So whether it's buying property, whether it's investing in the market, we have a financial advisor. So I actually was just a financial planner. And I actually just emailed her yesterday like, hey, you could take this amount of money out of our account and put it toward our brokerage account and invest it for us. And so those are your four. Bills account, allowance. If you're single, emergency account, mm-hmm. right? And you say six months. Yes, yeah, six months ideally. Yeah. Of just expenses. Of just so I call it your noodle budget expenses. Noodle, so budget. noodle budget is your basic bare bones expenses. So if your normal life costs you, say seven thousand dollars a month, that's hair done, nails done, everything did, then your noodle budget Drake, might cost you, you five thousand dollars a month, right? So you want six times five in that account. And then your long term savings account, which really your long term savings account is really pre investing account, like money that you're saving up to invest. Because you cannot budget and save your way to wealth. So if his money now, before it lands in our household, it's pre-split. HR puts that money into those separate buckets. And I suggest putting your savings account, not at a big bank, but an online-only bank, like an ally, oh, yeah. Capital One 360, Barclays, because it makes your money inconvenient. So because if your money is not in the same bank, to transfer from savings to checking... It takes about 24 to 72 hours. So if you're at your you know, Target and you're wanting something and your checking says, now you know you won't die <laughs> and your savings does have it, it's going to be a 24-hour wait. You're not sleeping at Target. You're going home. And so that's why I suggest. So if you do that, literally, that's it. You don't have to like budget. You do the math at one time, have your money split, have your bills account pays bills for you automatically. Your savings is automatically saved. All you're worried about is the money that's on your checking account attached to your debit card, your allowance money. 
you swipe with that. And when it's done, you're done. That is what I tell people. That's how you budget without a budget is to just split your money and then let it automatically pay bills and save for itself. And before they know it, it's habit. And like you said, they're not even thinking about it. Yes. My husband was like, he doesn't really, he's always like, because his money is in an online, you know, normally you look at your brick and mortar bank, that that's the bank you check regularly. So he doesn't check his online savings very much. So I can always tell when he checks it every few months, I hear like, woohoo! I'm like, ah, online savings looking good, huh? And he was like, just because the money's just coming out, he doesn't feel it. He just knows every two weeks I get my spending money to do whatever I want with. And I have my savings to do whatever I want with because he's contributing to the household as am I, contributing to the bills, contributing to our future goals collectively. And but then also too, I believe that adults should also have agency over some of the money they bring into the house. Now, here's the thing. You might like if you're really young, a young couple and you have like no money, there might not be enough for you to have your personal savings and personal checking. And that's okay. You know, you can work toward that, but that's the idea. Those are the four accounts. Or if you have someone, and then the only thing that's different if you don't is that second savings account is just your emergency account. But you should, even as a couple, you should still have the emergency account. No, that's a great plan. I love it. Now, what about like people like physicians, lawyers, the ones who are in a ton of student loan debt? They got a bunch of liabilities. They don't have any assets whatsoever. They may have a six figure salary or close to it, but they feel like they're drowning, similar to how you felt before. They got the career that they've always wanted, but they don't know how to handle their money. They don't know anything about investing. They don't know how to budget. They don't even know where to start. How about those people? Like, How do you get them to really focus on that one thing that they need to do? Where do you even start with them? If you are someone who is a high net worth earner now or high earner, right? So I would definitely consider getting with a financial planner because, for example, I have a financial planner now, Angelique, actually, because her husband is a physician. She actually specializes in work with physicians because to your point, they're like really good at this, but they're like, I don't know anything about finances. One, I want you to understand and, and to understand that, and Dame Dash said this, and I was like, yo, he nailed it. <laughs> yo. Dame Dash is that crazy uncle that makes sense sometimes. He though. needs an app that has like all of his different things that he says, the yes. isms, the Dame-isms that he says. Yes. And so this you're never going to forget because I was like, yo, you hit the nail on the head. Dame Dash said, I wish I could tell these young cats out here that are working, 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 that they working for the wrong thing that the purpose of working is to own so that the things that you own will one day put you out of work. And I was like, yo, meaning that like most people think they work, they work, they work. And then what happens is they're working to pay bills. They're working to save. They're working to go on vacation. Uh Uh-uh. You are working to make money. Yeah, do all those things. But really the end goal is to make money so you can own things. Owning things like assets. Assets puts money into your pocket. So owning real estate owning intellectual property, owning business, owning stocks, owning bonds. So thinking like I am working to own those things because assets puts money into your pocket. So if I was like, like when I was a preschool teacher, Tiffany, working, 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 I might say, oh, I don't make much. But what I do make after I pay bills and enjoy my life, whatever, I'm setting aside and I'm going to self-publish my first book. Now I've got this book. I own this book. This book might make me 200 bucks a month because now this asset is going to work for me. Okay, 200 bucks a month from the book. That's 200 more than I was making before. Okay, now what else can I own? You know what? I'm going to start this business and maybe, you know, preschool teacher Tiffany, maybe, you know, I start a babysitting business or whatever. And so now this business, it's not me babysitting. Maybe I hire other babysitters to go out for me. And now that business, after I pay the babysitters, maybe I'm making an additional $2,000 a month. So now it's like, oh, So maybe my teacher's salary is paying me $3,000 a month. 
But now I've got this business that I own making me two. Now I've got this book that I own making me another two. So $2,000 here, $200 here, $2,200. I am close to replacing my teacher's salary. Do you see? Now I'm like, okay, with this $2,200 I'm making every month now, additionally, my assets, I'm saving, I'm saving, I'm saving. Then I get my first property and I say, you know what? I'm going to get a multifamily house because I know that because I'm a first-time home buyer, I can get an FHA loan and put down 3.5%. So I'm going to get a multifamily house. Can you say this in your Nigerian accent? Because I just see your Nigerian... You can see, right? You can see it's coming through. You do the whole rest of the thing in your Nigerian accent. (laughs) Right? So So I say, I'm going to buy a house. So three family, two at minimum, right? Because I want someone else to pay my bill. You're going to pay my mortgage, right? And so you have your tenant is now paying your mortgage. So now the house, is making you, let's just say, an additional $500 a month. So now this house, because you're renting it out, and not only is the house making you $500, you no longer have to pay your $1,500 a month in rent, right? So effectively, this house is making you five and saving you 15. So that's awesome. So you're making $500 a month off the house. You're making $200 a month off your book, and you're making $2,000 a month off the babysitting, whatever, or tutoring business, right? So all of a sudden, you're making $2,700 every single month, just this close to replacing your income. But here's the thing, you no longer pay rent. So technically, you don't need the full $3,000 you're making as a teacher a month because your rent is taken off the table because you're living in a house that the mortgage is being paid for. But do you see how you don't have to actually make a lot to be technically financially free? You know, if your life costs you $3,000 a month and you are focused on creating ownership and creating ownership in a way that is intentional to put money in your pocket. So that's what I would say to new doctors is that what are things that you can own? Are you going to start your own practice? Are you going to invest in the market? Maybe with the help of a financial planner? Are you going to write a book? Are you going to, like I have a cousin now, he wants to be the next Dr. Oz, right? Dr. Ugo. (laughs) Shout out to you, Dr. Ugo. We can talk about, but I'm actually helping him start his own podcast. Exactly. Right. So you see what I mean? That's ownership. There's no right or wrong when it comes to ownership. I started my ownership with business, but some people might start their ownership with real estate, or some people might start their ownership with books or whatever. So that's what I would say to young doctors is that as you go out there, ask yourself, I'm really working to own what assets can I invest in so I can eventually put myself out of work. That is the ultimate goal. Like, even now, if I didn't want to work anymore, you know, I don't have to. Um, I enjoy working, but if I didn't want to work anymore, I don't have to. Not because like I'm super wealthy, although I do make a lot of money. Good. Oh, not because I'm super wealthy. <laughs> you know, my dad, I remember like my dad was so disappointed because, you know, my husband is just like a regular dude. He's like super for the city of Newark. And my dad's like, ah, I thought you were marry a doctor, a lawyer, an engineer. I said, why? And he was just like, I know it's all because, you know, Nigerians, I want, you know, for money, right? He's just thinking like, your husband is going to be able to take care of you. I was like, first of all, daddy, let's be clear. I make more than that doctor. I make more than that lawyer. I make more. Yo, know, my business makes seven figures a month. They making that? So if that's what you're looking for, I was like, yo, you raised me like this to be able to more than self-sustain myself. So for me, like, I mean, if my husband was a doctor, great, I guess. But that's not what I needed. You know, I needed support. I needed like encouragement. I need those other things. But If you're wanting me to find someone who makes more than me, I'm going to be hard pressed to find somebody who's making seven figures a month. I mean, I don't personally take home seven figures, but still, you know what I mean? 
And so like that wasn't on my criteria because I was like, what is point zero 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 one percent? You know? I'm really interested. Like we went from teaching us about the personal finance topics. And the thing that I keep getting from you is from early on being a preschool teacher to jumping to where you are right now, not wanting to, you know, put yourself in a situation where you could be fired again or lose your job again, you betting on yourself. I saw you answer this question in another interview a while ago. Basically, it says, do you feel like being afraid versus feeling wealthy hurts you at a certain point? Like, do you feel like there's this concept of, well, I just want to, you know, if I become safe or if I stay safe, that's worse than just saying, you know, let me bet on myself. That's where it's at. Like when you, someone asks you that question, how do you think about that? No, absolutely. That what is truly safe is not safe. Safety is a myth. And in aligning your life, what seems to be safe is actually one of the most unsafe things that you can do, you know, because then it leaves you, you're caught unaware, you know? So the fact that, like I said, as a teacher, I was like, oh, I'll always have this job. I never have to worry. It's super easy. I don't have to think about it. And then doctors it's are losing their job now in COVID. Exactly. Like, look, imagine if I would have said 10 years ago, I'm going to go right back to that same classroom. I would have been doubly devastated, you know, but now like the last recession caught me off guard. That's true. Yeah. You're right about that. You know, think about that. I would have been like, okay, that was just a fluke. It was just a fluke, a once in a lifetime. And then 10 years later, like, wait, what? We're back here again. Mm -mm." It caught me, you know, with debt. It caught me with a home that I didn't fully own. It caught me with all this. Now, this recession right here caught me with two homes that I own in cash. It caught me with, I had already paid off my parents' house, so I'm not worried about them during this recession. It caught me with no student loan debt. I wrote one check, $52,000, paid off my master's two years ago. It caught me with a thriving business that actually thrives during times like this. It caught me ready in my business because we work digitally, so we didn't have to make the switch that so many people are struggling to make. The struggle was people were home with their kids, but not working from home. So this recession actually caught me in so much of, like the place I am now is so much better in that I'm actually thriving. I'm actually doing better during times like this because I am not reliant upon external things to keep me afloat. It's almost like I've been preparing for this for the last 10 years and now here we are and I'm ready. You know, like imagine, I'm like, even if everything were to fall down, I'm like, I have a house. I have one renovated to be rented. This one, there's no mortgage. There's no mortgage. Like there's nobody that can come and take this house unless I don't pay the taxes, you know? They would take a lot for me not to have my tax money annually. So it's just a different space and place. And I get it. I mean, I can't imagine how much delayed gratification someone who has gone to school for eight plus years is experiencing. And I'm not going to say, I don't want you to over-sacrifice, but I want you to put whatever that joy or whatever it is that into your budget. So if you're wanting to travel or whatever, make it a line item, you know? But I want you to be able to sustain this better life for yourself. You've worked really hard. You've worked too hard to now become a slave. I'm sure you felt like in medical school, you're like, oh, I'm a slave to this. So now you're going to now create a lifestyle that you will additionally be a slave to that for the next 30 years. Mm -mm. You deserve better than that. You've worked too hard to get here. Focus on ownership. Enjoy, but with a plan in place. And don't make being debt-free the goal, right? That's the thing I know with student loan debt, because I remember, so I paid off my, now your credit card debt is the devil. Work hard. Yo, that's 29% APY, yo. (laughs) Okay. The fastest raise you can give yourself is to pay off your credit card debt because the interest rate, double digits interest rates are just sucking you 
dry when it comes to your wealth, right? So be aggressive with paying off your credit card debt. Be non-passive aggressive when paying off any debt that's below double digits. So I learned that lesson because I went really hard paying off that credit card debt from the scam that I'd experienced. And then I was going to go really hard on my student loan debt. And I said, huh, remember the purpose of working is to own. And I was like, all right, I pay off the credit card debt. I'm glad that debt is gone. But now I'm putting in work. Do I really want to put in work to paying off the student loan debt? That's not ownership. So instead, I put in the work into my business. And I said, my business will pay off my student loan debt. And so a few years later, you know, I put it, you know, forbearance deferment queens. I didn't have any money, really. And then, yeah, Tiffany, you know that game. I know that game too. Yeah. What? They knew me. They just knew. I'm like, hello. They're like, we know. I'm like, all right, see you <laughs> in six months. Right, <laughs> re up. But I put my time, my energy, and my funds into growing my business. And then that ownership allowed me two years ago to literally write a single check. And it didn't make a real ding in the money that I had. $52,000. In that same year, 52000 Here you go, student loans. One twenty was the rest of my parents' mortgage. Paid that off on a Tuesday. Then this house that I'm living in now, one hundred eighty thousand. It was a foreclosure that was really worth like I think like three seventy, three sixty, three seventy. But it was a foreclosure, so we got it for one eighty. Boom. Renovations cost about one eighty. Boom. Then bought a tax deed from the city for ten thousand. Boom. Wrote that out, and we're renovating that. I think our budget for that's about one fifty. But all of that, like right now, I could be sitting before you, like. Yeah, I, the last five years I've been working on paying on my student loan debt. Yay, I'm student loan debt free. Or the last five years I work on growing my business. Yay, I'm a millionaire. Oh yeah, and by the way, I paid off my student loan debt. You see, because people make the debt free the goal. Debt free is a goal. It's not the goal. The goal is wealth. You can get debt freedom anytime you want when you're on your way to wealth. Damn, Tiffany, <laughs> you, just <laughs> you just broke it down. Well, that was really amazing and definitely a masterclass in you know budgeting, a masterclass in entrepreneurship, betting on yourself. This was amazing. This was amazing. Thank you. I, I know time is short with you, but I really appreciate your time. What you're doing is amazing. Also, kudos to you with the Budgetista Law. What is it? Law A1414 that makes it yes. mandatory in the state of New Jersey for financial education to be integrated into all middle schools in New Jersey. So Congratulations on that. Thank you. It was a full circle moment to be able to do that. And then I went on to write like my children's book because I was like, how do you prevent these adults that are struggling now? So New Jersey already had a long place for high school. So when my friend Assemblywoman Angela V. McKnight reached out to me, I said, there should be something for younger students. So we worked on the bill for middle school and we're currently working on what it would look like for elementary school. But in the meantime, I wrote a book and I published it this year. It's called Happy Birthday, Molly Moore. I'm going to show you because she is like me. I don't know if they can see me, but you know, I'm chocolate. I was like, this baby's going to be chocolate. There you go. Yes. I was like, I wanted her to have that 4C hair. Because I was like, why are we not represented on book? hair, yeah. (laughs) And so it teaches age-appropriate pre-financial education to kids three to seven. I'm a little younger, a little older if you prefer, but ideally three to seven. And what I love is that Molly is M-A-L-I, like the African country. Yep. And then someone from Kenya reached out. I had no idea. She reached out to me and she said, do you know what Molly means in Swahili? And I said, no, this is after the book is already printed and out there. And she said, Molly means wealth. Oh, I was wow. like, shut the front door. Mm-hmm. So she was like, literally her name means more wealth. How appropriate. And so I'm just really proud of it. We've already sold 10,000 copies of that book. And at the back of the book, I have extend the lesson questions and activities because I understand that parents sometimes need help 
teaching age-appropriate financial education to their kids because they feel like they don't know. So I said, let me be Teacher Tiffany to put these lessons and questions at the back of the book to help teachers and parents extend that lesson. So like, yeah. Can I share the link? for? Of course. And we're going to put it in the show notes also, but of course you can. Yeah. So you can go to M-A-L-I-M-O-R-E, mollymore.com. And it's like my new baby. A few places I've reached out to turn her into a show. So you never know. You might be seeing her little chocolate face on, on your next streaming platform. There you go. There you go. And based off of how much you're bringing in, you sure you don't need like a personal doctor, Tiffany, just so we can end the show? I'm for sale. So, you know, I could come in way under. I could come in way under. (laughs) I got you. That is the next step. I was just telling my husband yesterday. I was like, yo, we're getting a cup, bruh. I can't keep up. You'll be eating leftovers for the rest of your life. That's You're not making a goosey stew or? (laughs) Yeah. Oh, no. I'm like, yeah. So my husband is straight, like African-American. Some African things he likes and some stuff is just, it's too new for him. Gotcha. (laughs) (laughs) If I want that, I got to go home to my mom. (laughs) Awesome. The audience is probably like, what is they talking about? Like, y'all just need to know. Y'all just need to know West African culture. Y'all will get this. But obviously what you're telling in terms of this knowledge, anybody can get this knowledge. This is amazing, amazing knowledge. And listen, I'm proud of your ascent and you continue to go to different heights and it's just amazing to watch you. And Thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you so much for dropping all these bombs, all these clue bombs on. <laughs> DJ yes, Clue East Bombs. Coast. I know. <laughs> Buying your CD from right in front of Dr. J's. <laughs> exactly. The Check It Out Man. You know. Exactly. Oh my God. Yeah. I was going to say, no, you don't know him. The Check, check it, it Out. out. <laughs> check It Out. Yeah. But no, this was amazing, Tiffany. Thank you. Thank you so much. And thank maybe you. in the future we could do this again. Yeah. No, thank you. This is awesome. <laughs> 